Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Kingdom Come. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. You may be seated. We're changing uh, the normal schedule up a little bit. Um, We're going to go right back into worship here in just a few minutes, but I wanted to offer a couple of opening thoughts about our scripture for today. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in uh, verses 21 through 30. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time verses 21 through 26, but I want to I want to go into worship with this thought that, um, that I believe the Lord has, has, has spoken to me about this passage specifically. And so, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, you can follow along with us. Um, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, just do a search for vertical, uh, and you'll find the notes and the scriptures right there. But I want to go ahead and read this, and then uh, really today I want to ask four questions. And I want to start off by asking the first question, and then we're going to go back into worship, because I believe the question that comes out of this passage of Scripture is something that we have to kind of let sit in our hearts and even take uh, to God in the midst of just kind of an atmosphere of praise. And so, here we go, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, Jesus is on the mountain, he's, he's been preaching his sermon. He's gone through the Beatitudes and the salt and light passage. And he hits this. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus changes the subject. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, if you have, um, if you didn't pick up your Kingdom Come booklet, make sure you grab that on your way out. Um, the, The first question that I believe after I read this passage that kind of God spoke to me is the question that really the whole series is based on. For the next several weeks, we're still working through the the Sermon on the Mount. And the the focus of our time together is, what does it look like to live in God's world, God's way? I believe Jesus tells us here in the Sermon on the Mount exactly what His people should look like. So I believe the first question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we enter our world? 
How do we engage our neighbors? What is the attitude and, and, and position of our heart when we engage people who do not consider themselves to be Christ followers? Well, a few years ago, there was a book written by a guy whose last name is Kinneman. I think his first name is Tim. He wrote a book called Unchristian, and he wanted to share some statistics with the perception of Christians and the church in the world outside of the church. And he found out the three most common perceptions by those from 20 to 40. The most common perception of that age group, 20 to 40, by 91%, 91% of the people who did not call themselves a Christian, a Christ follower, I don't attend church, 91% of those people said that the church was anti-homosexual. Now, not just the church preaches husband and wife, that's marriage. No, 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 anti. We don't like you, we don't want you, we don't want to be around you. We actually hate you and think you're the devil. 91% of the people surveyed who do not consider themselves Christians said, yeah, the church is anti-homosexual. 87% said the church is judgmental, and self-righteous. In other words, you, they think they're better than everybody else. These are by people 20 to 40 who do not consider themselves Christian. They're outside of the church. It's the people we're trying to reach here at Vertical Church. People who are far from God. They look at the Christian church, 87, 87 out of 100 of them say, yeah, you're self-righteous and judgmental. And then 85% said you're hypocritical. Of the top 12, only three of them were semi-positive. One was um, that, that the church teaches the basic same ideas as all the other religions, which is not positive in my book, but at least it's not negative. And also said that the church has good values and principles, and they're friendly. Those are the only good things they had to say about the church. You see, we have a major public relations problem as Christians. People see us as self-righteous and judgmental and anti-people. And I believe the cause of that is actually the solution, and I believe it's found in this passage. I believe that people view us that way because we, we don't name our own brokenness. We don't name it. We don't call it for what it is. You see, in the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are nice and pleasant and they're pretty and they're poetical. And, and it's, it's nice and it has a, a cool flow. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And then you get to the, the salt and light passage and that's wonderful. It's a great honor to be called salt and light. That's a, that's a great honor that Jesus says you are a presence in the world. And then his tone changes. And he says, here's how you're going to be a presence in the world. You're going to name your own brokenness. You see, Jesus says, look, it's not enough just to not kill somebody. Matter of fact, if, if you have angry thoughts towards someone, the right name for you, Jesus says, is murderer. And Jesus says it's not enough just to not commit adultery. Jesus says if you have lustful thoughts inside your, your heart and mind, not just for someone, not just for a person in a sexual manner, but just lust in general, a desire to consume, Jesus says the appropriate name for you is adulterer. Jesus says 
that when you partake in these things, you're a killer and you're a harlot. And that's who you are because that's what's in your heart. But you see, as the Christian church, we don't like to name ourselves that way because those names aren't appealing, are they? No, you don't want to be called that. That's very mean and very rude that Jesus would say that. But he says that's your appropriate name. The nature of every person is that when you sin, and all sin reflects some form of anger and lust, when you sin, you are a killer and an adulterer. This is who Jesus calls us to see ourselves as. And you can't be self-righteous when you see yourself like that. You can't be judgmental when you see yourself like that. When you name your own brokenness. When you engage the world from a position of brokenness. When you engage your neighbor from a position of, you know what? I'm a murderer. And I'm an adulterer. And I don't deserve the grace of God. Because see, when you see yourself that way, when you name your own brokenness and face the reality and the truth of what lies in your heart, then you're on level ground with everybody else. Amen. And you don't, you don't put forth this position of superiority as if you are on some sort of pedestal looking over the world, passing judgment as if you are better than them. Because you realize they're murderers and you're a murderer. They're adulterers, and you're an adulterer. And Jesus calls us to see ourselves when we are angry, and that anger turns to hurt, and that hurt turns to judgment, and that judgment becomes contempt and cursing as we declare and proclaim what we believe is the truth about somebody else's heart, that they are a fool and they are no good. We're murderers. When we lust for anything and that desire becomes a command and that command becomes an idol, Jesus says you are an adulterer. We are called to see ourselves as broken men and women. And if you aren't broken, you have little to offer the world except your own self-righteousness. This is what Jesus says. So as we go back into worship, as we go back into, into singing and proclaiming things and thoughts and ideas about Jesus, will you allow your own heart to be broken about the nature of your heart? Because when you come to that moment where you realize, I am broken in that moment, the gospel, the good news, what does what God what does the God of the universe do with mur murderers and adulterers? He lavishly offers them his love and his grace. So what I want to encourage you to do as we go back into an atmosphere of worship and praise, I'm, I want to challenge you to abandon any position that you have of superiority because genuine humans don't live on pedestals. They have their feet on the ground just like everybody else. And when they feel and experience the grace of God, the response is gratitude and thankfulness and grace so I want to invite you to stand again. We're going to invite Jesus to, to challenge our hearts and show us the brokenness of our own reality. And in the middle of that brokenness, let the gospel, the good news of Christ that says you're broken, 
You're messed up. But the grace of God, the grace of God that creates a level playing field for everyone else. And when you experience the grace of God, you realize that you didn't do it. It's not your work. It's not something you were good enough to achieve. So no one else is good enough to achieve it. We all freely receive the grace of God. So I pray in this moment, as we sing together, that the grace of God would pour into your life, into your brokenness. Allow allow the grace of God to to name your brokenness and then remember that the grace That the grace of God is His lavish love poured on top of murderers and adulterers like you and like me. Jesus, we invite you in this moment to to go through our lives and our hearts. Break us in places we need to be broken. Mend us in places we need to be mended. But please, God, let us come to the realization that the the ground around the cross is level for everybody. And that the work of Jesus Christ that, that He did when He died on the cross is the only thing that saves us. It's the only thing that makes us of any worth, of any account. Jesus, be at the very center of our lives. Jesus, there's just something about your name that brings your presence. It speaks of your glory. It speaks of your grace. It speaks of your love. Lord, we pray that we would be people characterized by that same love. Lord, that we really would, those of us in the room that call ourselves Christ followers, God, that we would be Christ-like. Lord, would there be something about us when we are a presence in our world that would set people at ease and shine and show off the love and grace of God that is looking to lavishly pour itself over the entire world to bring people far from you into a relationship through Jesus Christ Jesus there's just something about your presence we thank you this morning we worship you God we declare you are the son of God the only begotten of the father completely God, completely human, 
God in flesh, the grace dispenser, the one who empowers, the one who sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in your church, be the center of our church. Let us be a church that's completely, totally focused on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You see, when we enter our world from that position, from a position of brokenness, then when people hurt us, then we are more likely to live out the truth of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21 through 26. So for the few minutes that we have remaining, I want to drill down on this issue of anger that Jesus talks about. I believe there are three more questions that we have to ask as we wrestle with his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to, today we're not going to jump into his words about lust. Actually, next week, this is a good time to plug next week. Uh, if, you, if you are married or ever hope to be married, if you have a friend who is married or ever hopes to be married, single, divorced, uh, widowed, uh, looking, you know, whatever, um, you want to be here. I, I'm planning to share, um, Lord willing, the, the two things that every marriage must overcome um, and deal with if, if they're not going to dry or go away from each other, if they're not going to separate. There's two things I believe every marriage has to overcome, and I believe Jesus talks about them in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at that next week. Uh, but today we're looking at, at anger and murder. The first question I think Jesus asks us through, his, through this passage is he challenges us to ask the question, am I in danger? Am I in danger? Let me read for you the, the couple of verses, the beginning of this uh, little section on murder and anger. Jesus says, you heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which you have probably not said recently, because um, you're good Christian folk. Even if you're not, you don't know what that word means. Um, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So I believe the question is, are you and I in danger? Danger. Have you ever had the thought, um, or, or have you ever heard anybody say, maybe they're describing a friend, and, and this friend isn't really an upstanding citizen, uh, they're not really a wholesome person, but they'll say something like, well, it's not like he's ever killed anybody. Have you ever heard somebody described that way? Uh, or have you ever, you know, described yourself, maybe you did something that you shouldn't have, and you said, well, it's not like I killed somebody. I mean, Probably most of us in this room have not killed anybody. Probably. Like murdered uh, viciously. Um, you know, none of us has, have probably, uh, you know, uh, found somebody in an alley and, and stole their, their wallet and, you know, killed them. But is that, really the, is, is that really the criteria? Is that the dividing line between good and not good? good? Well, at least he's never killed anybody. At least he's never murdered anybody. 
And I believe Jesus is picking up on that because in his culture, uh, Jesus is interacting with the, the, the Old Testament. This is actually a, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And so Jesus is basically saying, look, you've heard that it was said, thou shalt not kill. And you think that by stopping short of killing someone, you're doing good. And Jesus says, that's not the point. The point is not to stop short in your anger and rage of of murdering someone. Jesus says the point is not to get near the thought that you wish they were dead. Jesus says, look, I don't even want your heart to go there. I don't even want your mind to go to the place where you wish somebody was dead. Now, I'm hoping most of you have not really had that thought. Now, well... If you're married, you probably have at least once, which is a good idea. You need to be here next week. So uh, anyway, anger, what what do we do with anger? Because anger in, in and of itself is not sin. I mean, the Bible talks about God getting angry. The Bible talks about Jesus getting angry. Um. You and I get angry, and, and even in the Bible it says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger and sin are not synonymous here. So what is Jesus driving at? What is the, the point? What is the, the, the kind of the layers, if you peel the layers off the onion, what's at the core? I believe Jesus is telling us that there's a deeper issue here. It's not just about getting mad at somebody. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, you know, don't ever get mad at somebody. Jesus is talking about something a little bit deeper than just getting mad. Jesus is talking about an anger that that smolders on the inside of you. You might call it bitterness. You might call it contempt. You might even call it, if you're really true to the word, you might call it hate that there are people in our past that we have issue with. Maybe they hurt us and maybe they abused us and we, we hate them so much we wish something bad would happen to them. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. When that anger on the inside is just burning and every time you think of the person, you don't you don't think of anything but, oh, I wish, I wish they would lose their job. I wish, you know, I wish their house would get foreclosed. I wish someone would wreck their car. You know, you just wish something bad would happen to them. And I believe there's some dangers because Jesus says you're in danger of the fire of hell. I believe there are some dangers when we have unresolved anger, unresolved bitterness on that level where it's smoldering on the inside. I believe, like we said at, at the beginning, that one of the dangers of unresolved anger is you become self-righteous. You become judgmental because your attitude and your thought is, I'm right and they're wrong. They hurt me and that was wrong. And you know what? You're probably right. That's probably true. Some of you in this room have been hurt terribly. Some of you have had things that have happened to you and people have said stuff to you that shouldn't be said to another human being. But when you hold on to that and that anger just smolders on the inside and burns on the inside and it turns into bitterness and contempt and hate, something inside of you is dying. This is what Jesus is getting at. 
He says that, that when somebody hurts you, that anger that just continually fires up on the inside may become all that's left of you. That, that eventually you might be Gehenna. Eventually you might be a smoldering garbage dump. When it says they're in dangers of the fires of hell, in the Greek, that's the word for fires of Gehenna. Gehenna in Jerusalem was this ancient garbage dump where everybody would bring their trash and they would light it on fire and the fire would never go out. And so Jesus says when you hold on to anger and bitterness and contempt and you have it on the inside of you and it's just smoldering, you're like a burning garbage dump. On the inside, and eventually, if you don't let that go, it will completely take over you. And I know what you're thinking right now. You don't understand, Pastor Josh. Somebody somewhere really hurt me. If you knew what they did to me, you would be angry too. And I probably would. I probably would. But here's the thing. When you allow that to just fester on the inside, you're actually giving that person, that situation, that issue, power over you. That's what happens. You're, you're giving them the power to control your life and to dictate how you will approach and go through your day. Why would you do that to someone who hurt you? You hurt me and abused me, and now I'm going to give you the power over to determine the outlook of my life. Amen. Plus, I believe, which is kind of the second thought about danger and, and anger, is that you're giving Satan power over your life. I believe it's in James chapter 4 where James says, In your anger do not sin, and in your anger do not give Satan a foothold. You see, when you hold on to that anger and that bitterness, you allow the enemy to climb all over you and to dominate you. You give him a foothold, and when he gets a foothold, he takes over. And here's the reality of it. When you're harboring anger against this one person, it makes it a lot easier to become angry at someone else. And so you're harboring this bitterness and you take this bitterness into your home and you yell at your kids. Your kids aren't the one who hurt you, but you don't know how to deal with the hurt, so you take it out on them. Or you take it out on your spouse. Or you take it out at work because you're mad and mean to the people who work for you. That's not how we're supposed to enter our world, Jesus says. Jesus says we don't engage the people around us from a position and a standpoint of anger and bitterness. See, every idle word that we speak, every insult, that's what? The word raka is like calling someone an idiot because you're mad and angry. You idiot! You fool! Jesus says, when you, when you declare that, you're showing a lack of respect for the other person because you really think you're better than they are. You're an idiot. How could you not see that? Jesus says, look, you've got a position of superiority going on here where you, you're acting like you're better than this person. And so you're declaring things about them. And it just takes a little bit of anger, a little bit of bitterness to rule your life. One time I was on a diet. And you're like, you're looking at me thinking, you're on a diet. Trust me, um, I'm tall, and so I hide it well. Um, and so one time I was on a diet. This was after um, 
our, I think our first or second uh, son was born. And you know, when you're a husband and your wife's eating at like two in the morning, you don't want her to eat alone. But then, but then they have the baby. And so now not only, you know, the, the baby leaves and now they're, you know, got their energy back and you're still eating at two o'clock in the morning. So I decided this is not a good thing. I need to go on a diet. And, and so I had done, I'm doing, you know, P90X, the whole thing. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to not eat all these things. Carbs are the enemy, bad. Oh, you know, all that. And because, it, you know, our child had just been born, people were bringing us food and helping and all that stuff. And we had this chocolate cake. And not just any chocolate cake. You know, sometimes chocolate cake can be kind of dry. But this was moist chocolate cake. And so I just finished a workout. Uh, you know, P90X, you know, uh, plyometrics, I almost passed out. Uh, if you've ever done P90X, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, plyometrics workout and the yoga workout. You don't think yoga is intense, but man. Anyway, so I just finished that, and I go in the kitchen, getting me some more water, and I see this chocolate cake. Have you ever seen Bill Cosby's stand-up routine where he talks about chocolate cake? Or he does it even on the Cosby show, I think, because he's like, you know, chocolate cake. It's got, you know, eggs, that's breakfast, milk, flour. This is good. This is good for you. This is good breakfast. So, so I'm running that through my mind. It's got milk, eggs. This is exactly what, you know, uh, Tony Horton, is that his name? Tony Horton says I should eat for breakfast, eggs and milk. That's great. So I decide, okay, I'm just going to have two bites. So I take the fork. And I slice into the chocolate cake, and I take the first bite, y'all, and it was, it was moist. It, was, it just, like, ran down the back of my throat like chocolate syrup. It was so good. And so I took the second bite, which is a little bit bigger. Yeah. And before I, before I even realized it, there was no more chocolate cake. I'd eaten the entire chocolate cake. Why? Because when you get just a little bit of taste of moist, good chocolate cake... You can't stop, and when you get just a little bit of bitterness, it ends up taking control. So what Jesus says, eventually you'll be nothing but the fires of hell on the inside because you've given Satan a foothold, and he doesn't stop there. And so I think the first question we have to wrestle with is, am I, are we angry? And I believe we need to understand that, that we were hurt and I know it was. I know your hurt and your anger and your frustration is legitimate, but you have to come to the realization that you may never have the answers that you're looking for. On this side of eternity, you're asking the question, "Why did this happen?" You may never know. You may never know. And I know you're thinking, "I've been hurt and abused, and I don't care what God says about it. I'm just going to be angry." Let me ask you a question: Where does that come from? That thought, I don't care what God says about it. I'm going to be mad and angry. So I don't think that comes from Jesus. So the first question, am I in danger? Do I, have, do I have this thing on the inside of me that's eating away, making me an angry and bitter person? And then the next paragraph, Jesus goes on and he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. I think the second question Jesus asks is, are you, am I, are we waiting? Are we procrastinating? 
We come into, we come into uh, God's, God's house in, in this you know, primary school that we transform, make it into God's glory fills the place. We come in and we're worshiping God. Jesus says, look, don't, don't, ra- don't show up at church and raise your hands and worship to God when you want to take those same hands and punch somebody in the throat. Don't do that. And yet we procrastinate because we say, well, I'll get to it eventually. I'll, I'll, I'll approach the person later. What's, what's the alternative to having anger burning on the inside of you? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. And Jesus says this takes precedence even over worship. Even over worship. Look, I don't, God says, I don't want your worship when you're angry with your brother or sister. Because, because God... God will not be separated from our brother and sister. And so he says, look, you got to get that right before you come into my house and try to worship me. Do you realize how much of a pain that would have been for people in Jesus' day? Jokers are coming from two or three days' journey away to Jerusalem with a goat. And Jesus says, take your goat and tie it up somewhere. Walk two or three days back to your village. Make reconciliation with the person. Walk two or three days back to, the, back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and then take your goat, which hopefully no one has stolen, and then present it. Jesus says, I want you to take an extra week out of your life to make rest, restitution with this person. And then offer your sacrifice. That's difficult. And some of you are thinking even right now, wait a second, I'm supposed to pursue them? They hurt me. When I pictured this in my mind, I didn't picture me approaching them because they hurt me. I approached, I I pictured them coming, crawling, graveling on their knees, begging for my forgiveness. I thought, I thought they were supposed to come to me. Pastor Josh, Who in the world would actually pursue someone that wronged them? Jesus, maybe. The Bible Bible tells us that, that God is in heaven and he sends Jesus to a people who are hating him. We were, we were far from God. We were separated in our sin from God. And Jesus came and pursued us. So it makes sense that he would tell us, look, even if someone wrongs you, you pursue them because that's what I did for you. Jesus says, go after them. Make it right with them. And it's not comfortable. You're right. That's not comfortable. That's, that's very uncomfortable. But the cross isn't about making us comfortable. The cross is about making us committed to Jesus. So the question is, are you waiting? This morning, do you have someone in your life, someone in the realm of your existence that you're angry with, that maybe hurt you and abused you, and you're harboring on to this anger and bitterness? The words of Jesus to you right now are reconcile with them. You don't have to be their best friend, you don't have to hang out with them and go to dinner with them, but you got to get rid of that anger in your heart. And Jesus says the best way to do it is to offer forgiveness to them. They don't deserve it. You're absolutely right. You didn't deserve it either. Jesus gave it to you freely. That's why the position that we enter the world in matters. We're all broken. Jesus says we're all murderers and adulterers. And so if you approach the world from that position, then you can go to another murderer and adulterer and say, I forgive you because Christ forgave me. 
I don't hold this against you. You don't owe me anything. I release you. I let it go. The last question I believe that Jesus asks us in this passage in verses 25 and 26. He says this, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Last question, are you in prison? Are you in prison? You see what anger and bitterness, it's like, we think that when we hate someone, we hold on to that anger, we hold on to that bitterness. It, Jesus says it's like, Jesus says it's like drinking poison and thinking the other person is going to get sick. Look, you're in prison. You're in bondage to anger. And holding on to that is not freeing. Are you free? This morning, are you free or are you in a prison of anger and bitterness? Right now, you're leasing, you're renting space inside your head and heart to people that hurt you. And Jesus wants to set you free this morning. He wants to set you free. Some of you, you're... Some of you, your next step in Jesus, in your walk with Christ, is a step of forgiveness for someone that hurt you. And you're not going to go another inch closer to Jesus until you come, come to that conclusion that you've got to forgive. And you've got to let it go. Why? Because we're broken people. We're broken. When we sin... We're murderers and adulterers. And when you approach the world from that position, then you can offer forgiveness because you realize, I was broken. I am broken. God forgave me. He didn't hold my sin against me. He didn't hold my wrongs against me. And so when I live from that perspective, then I can offer forgiveness to everybody. Look, you don't owe me. You don't owe me. Today is the day I believe that some of you are going to cut it loose. And you're going to let it go. Today is the day I believe that you're going to walk out of the prison of anger and bitterness and walk into the freedom of forgiveness. I believe today is the day that you procrastinate and wait no more. I believe that some of you, as soon as, we, as soon as our worship service is over, you might even do it right now while we pray. I believe some of you need to pull out your phone and send somebody a text. Or, or when you get home, send somebody an email. Or look up a phone number and give them a call. Or schedule a lunch just to say, I don't, you don't owe me. I forgive you for all of that stuff. And, our, and they might not even know what you're talking about. What you're talking about. That's not important. I don't. We're good. We're good. Might be a mom or a dad. It might even be somebody that's dead. You might have somebody, a mom or dad that passed away that, that you need to release. You need to write them a letter. They're dead. I know. Write them a letter. I, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. Christ forgave, forgave me. The ground's level to the cross. I'm not better than you. I forgive you. 
This morning when you came in, you saw a white sheet of paper sitting on your seat. Would you take that out? Because I don't want to make this just, you know, all talk. I want to do something this morning. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want you to take the pen that was also in your seat. And if you've got somebody in your life that you've got anger and bitterness towards, it might be somebody a thousand miles away, might be the person sitting beside you. It might be someone that's not even alive anymore. I just want you to write their name down on that piece of paper. You say, I've got anger issues. I've got bitterness issues. And this is the person that I'm angry with and I'm bitter with. Just write it down. We're not going to take them up. We're not going to pass them around. We're not going to look at them. There's just something about acknowledging it. It's the first step to moving on. You have to acknowledge and admit and come to the realization, I'm angry and and I'm, I'm holding on to a grudge or hate and it's this person that I'm doing it to. And I'm in bondage and captivity right now and it's centered around this person. You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to hold it up and wave it. Just write it down. It might be more might be more than one or two or three. You might have to make a whole list. It's okay. It's fine. Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Jesus, this person hurt me, and I'm, and I'm, I'm releasing them. Jesus, this is a person I'm angry with, and, and I'm hurt. This person hurt me and abused me, and I'm writing it down. While you do that, let's pray. God, here in a second, we are going to ask you to do a, a miracle in our hearts, a miracle of grace, a miracle of, of love, really. We're going to ask you, God, to help us forgive those who have wronged us. We're going to ask that you would, much like you pray in the prayer that you taught us in Matthew chapter 6, God, that we realize that we ask forgiveness from you and we give forgiveness to those who have hurt and wronged us. Everybody with their eyes closed and their heads bowed, you got your name or names written on your piece of paper. to ask that God would give you the, the courage, the boldness, the strength to offer forgiveness to that person. It takes, it takes strength. It takes a, a standpoint of grace, a position close to the cross to forgive people that hurt you, even when they didn't ask for forgiveness. So if you have your names written down, everybody would still heads down, eyes closed. You can do this with your eyes closed. I want to challenge you here in just a second. We're going to rip that piece of paper. We're going to rip it as a declaration that these people don't owe us a thing. 
that we are releasing them. We are giving that anger and bitterness to Jesus and extending forgiveness to the person that we're angry with. With your eyes closed so nobody's looking around, you can do this with not without seeing. Just take your piece of paper. When I count to three, I want you to just rip it. See, that sounds real silly, yes. But doing something physically sometimes helps us. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Just rip your paper. Just rip your paper. Just rip your paper. It's yours, Jesus. It's yours. I'll let this person go. I'm not going to... Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.